Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This is going to be a good segment, Blair. Setting the record straight on commonly asked questions when it comes to debt management. And we've talked a lot before on dollars and cents that personal bankruptcy, for example, is a process that people often have a lot of misinformation about. What do you think one of the top bankruptcy-related questions people are surprised to learn the real facts on? Yeah, I'm thrilled to talk about these questions today, Elaine. I think it was Mark Twain that said, you know, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, my day-to-day is spent, um, you know, really giving people good facts, good insights. And the number one thing um, that people tend to misunderstand about a bankruptcy process is they think that it is the death of their credit for the rest of their lives. So mm. they think they won't be allowed to have credit for at least seven years, you know, maybe ever. Um, and the facts are, are quite different than that. So I'm happy to explore a little bit, that, bit of that in our first question here. That's great. So let's talk about the credit rating. How bad is bankruptcy for somebody's credit rating? Right. So as you can imagine, you know, if you're filing a bankruptcy, it's because you're in a position where you can't pay all of your debts back. You certainly can't pay all the interest charges. You're just not able to meet the terms there. You need to do something different. So anytime you don't meet your obligations with your debts, your credit rating takes a hit. Now, a first-time bankruptcy, um, that's going to be reflected on a credit report for six years after your discharge, okay? So most bankruptcies take about nine months to complete, so six years of credit impact. That's where that kind of, there's an element of truth in every myth, and that's where that myth comes that, you know, you won't be able to have any credit for seven years if you file for bankruptcy. You know, the truth is it's going to be recorded on your bureau for six years, but that's actually the same time that other common transactions that you might already be incurring are also reported there, you know, things like missed payments, uh, late payments, bounced payments, um, you know, being pursued for judgments, you know, those are on there for six years as well. So if someone files for bankruptcy, and you know, they're already missing payments and things like that, you know, their credit rating already might not be that good to begin with. But what's actually more exciting about the process is what bankruptcy allows you to do it allows you to start over to get a fresh financial start. And what a lot of people find is they can rebuild their credit rating way quicker than if they were to hunker down, try to pay everything off, you know, have no quality of life, spend all their money on, on interest and debt payments, just chasing the credit rating. If they take a short term hit to their credit rating and then they follow the right steps after discharge from bankruptcy. So after that nine months, it's common within two to three years of a bankruptcy being finished that people have better credit ratings than when they started and, you know, even could qualify for, for car loans, for mortgage loans without risk premiums. So if anybody's listening out there and thinks, oh, there's no way you can get a mortgage two to three years after a bankruptcy, phone any mortgage broker and they will tell you yeah, that's the case. If you're able to save a down payment, uh, if you've got great history for two to three years after even a bankruptcy, you could be considered for a mortgage. Um, and again, that can be a much shorter path than just hunkering down and doing everything you can to keep everybody paid for as long as possible. Now, um, I don't know, this sounds like a difficult thing to do or something that you may not want to do, but is it possible to file for bankruptcy more than once? 
It is, Elaine, and, and that's good for people to know. So bankruptcy is not a lifelong thing. So it starts and it finishes, again, usually inside of nine months for the first time bankruptcy. Um, and it's something that there's been a statistic increasing over time, but it's about 15% of people who go bankrupt once uh, will sometimes have to go bankrupt again. And, you know, I see a lot of clients where the first bankruptcy was maybe in the 1980s, interest rates went way high and there's nothing they could have done. And, you know, now they're retired and they're on a fixed income. They've had to incur some debt because they had some health issues. So it can be completely unrelated. So as long as you've complied with the duties in your first bankruptcy and gotten your discharge, so it's not the case with bankruptcy, you go sign some documents, there goes your debt. Uh, you've got to do some work. You've got to keep some budgets. You've got to get a couple counseling sessions uh, and pay some fees to the trustee, usually $200 a month for nine months. As long as you do that in your discharge, you are able to file bankruptcy a second time. Um, you know, Even a third time is possible, but you don't very often see a third time bankruptcy. What a lot of people really choose to do is if they're coming in, you know, thinking, oh, my gosh, I need to go bankrupt again. Uh, they're not aware that a consumer proposal now exists. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about a consumer proposal, but it can be a much better option for someone to consider um, than filing a second or even a third bankruptcy, better for their credit, and then also sometimes better for their spirit in that um, they're making a deal to repay what part of the debts they can afford as opposed to throwing up the hands and saying, okay, I just got to file for bankruptcy again at this point. Right. So um, so let's go right into it then. Can you explain a bit more about what a consumer proposal is? Because not everybody knows and mm -hmm. why it is a, 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 an option for folks uh, if, if, let's say, they're looking at a second time bankruptcy or, or even just a first time just trying to deal with their debts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm almost convinced that explaining what a consumer proposal is is one of my key purposes in life. And I love doing it because it's such a powerful tool and it really can help people out of a tough situation. So what a consumer proposal is, is it's a deal that you work out. It's only available through a licensed insolvency trustee like Sands and Associates, but it allows you to settle your debts for what you're able to afford, not for the full amount, the full amount plus interest, nothing like that. So for example, um, if you had a debt of say $20,000 or a debt combined of $20,000, it might be income taxes, it might be some old student loans, it could be credit cards, lines of credit, just about any standard consumer debt. Um, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, I can't pay the 20,000 off in this foreseeable future, I'm trapped making minimum payments. You'd offer a consumer proposal for maybe 30% of the amount if that's what you could afford. So proposals are often in the range of 20 to 40% repayment. It's all based on your means and your ability to repay. So if you can afford to pay off the full debt, yeah, you don't need a proposal. But many people find they're just they're not able to make meaningful progress on their debt. So if someone had $20,000 of debt um, and they might try to do a consumer proposal over a 36-month period, they pay $166 per month, um, and that would be all they would have to pay. That would be a reasonable settlement on the debt. Um, they'd be working with the trustee that have the same protection as the bankruptcy proceeding would give them, and they'd also get two really great financial counseling sessions, which would help them move forward, um, you know, put the debt in the rearview mirror and hopefully not need to do it again in the future. How badly does, or, or can we talk about how a bankruptcy or a, con, a consumer proposal affects uh, the person's partner? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a really key one because sometimes people come in, whether it's a couple together or someone you know, very conscious of, of their other half, um, they're saying, well, you know, I want to deal with my debts. Well, what's this going to do um, to my spouse who you know, maybe doesn't have debt or, or isn't uh, you know, to the same extent? Uh, you know, the answer is that there's really no severe consequences um, if someone is filing a consumer proposal or even a bankruptcy on their spouse as long as the debts are separate. 
So if one spouse files a consumer proposal or bankruptcy and they've got, you know, their own MasterCard visa, their own loans, so on and so forth, uh, a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy does not transfer those debts to the spouse. And it doesn't mean the spouse must also file. Um, it's only if your spouse has guaranteed your debts or co-signed, if you've got joint accounts or things like that, then you'd have to deal with things together. But for the most part, and this is really good best practice for people I recommend it, uh, if couples keep their finances separately, it's completely possible for one spouse to maintain their credit rating, to keep their finances um, you know, completely intact in good shape, and for the other spouse to take the necessary step if they need it, you know, to file a bankruptcy or a proposal, and for there to be no crossover, no negative impact on the spouse who's not filing. So I recommend you generally keep your borrowing separate, even amongst married couples. A lot of people think, you know, if you become married, well, now you owe everything that your spouse owes. Absolutely not true. That's a huge myth that we're really happy to to be able to bust. Cool. Um, And listen, but just before we go any further, I want to remind you, if you're listening and you're thinking, oh boy, I'd like to take some steps or at least find out more, it's very easy to get a hold of Blair and uh, all of the teams at Sands & Associates to talk further. Here's the 1-800 number. It's 1-800-661-661-3030. So let's talk about the other ins and outs that people ask about or want to know about Mm -hmm. Blair when it comes to dealing with this. Yeah, one big one that we get, Elaine, um, is the idea of co-signing debts. And it seems to be the misunderstanding there is you co-sign for somebody, um, you know, you're the co-signer, they're the borrower, you're on the hook for 50% at most. And the answer is you're on the hook for 100% of the debt if the person is unable to pay. Um, And sometimes these debts even have an acceleration clause, which if there's enough payments that are missed, the bank might demand full payment from either the borrower, who's probably not going to be able to do it if they're missing payments, um, or the co-signer. So you've really got to be careful if you're co-signing debts, you know, get some advice. And, you know, my advice typically is when is it wise to co-sign debts? Almost never. It's very rare that I see a situation where it makes a whole lot of sense for somebody um, because sometimes you think, well, maybe the bank knows something that you don't. If they're not willing to qualify the person based on their own financial strength, maybe there is a little bit more of a risk there. And then also what happens, uh, and this can be heartbreaking, is you're introducing another level uh, of emotional responsibility and stress because now if you have to restructure your debts, um, you know it's not going to be the case that your spouse or the co-signer won't be impacted because you've gotten them to co-sign. They could still be held accountable. Even though you get protection, um, your co-signer would not be protected if they're also joint on that debt. I bet uh, people ask about how is this going to impact my assets uh, and the whole Mm -hmm. idea of using them as collateral? Yeah, that's something you want to use caution about. So in the last few years, especially in BC, I've seen a lot of, you know, what we call auto title loans, where essentially um, you're being advanced some funds, um, but you're giving some security over an asset. Sometimes it's your car that, you know, you work very hard to pay off over time. And what happens is if you start to miss payments on those debts, you know, now it's not the case that, you know, they've got to go to court before they can seize assets. It takes a long time. They have the right to come and seize your car, for example, if you've chosen to give security over those assets. Um, you know, a lot of the time people borrow against their home equity as well. You know, sometimes it's really expensive second mortgages. And if they start to default on those, that can result in a foreclosure proceeding be, being commenced against them. So be very, very careful uh, if the only way you're able to qualify for some financing is to pledge assets as collateral because it can have some drastic negative impacts. 
Got it. So we just got about a minute left in this segment, Blair. What do you what do you think or what do you know to be uh, one of the top questions when it comes to assessing the services of a licensed insolvency an insolvency trustee like yourself? Yeah, I think there, there's two things that, that we tend to run up against that, you know, cause people to maybe wait longer than they, they know that they should to get some help. You know, one is thinking they need a referral to get some debt help. So, you know, it's not like the medical system. You have to get someone referred to, to, to get to a specialist. With the licensed insolvency trustee, you can phone up at any point. You can visit the website, sams-trustee.com, and have a consultation often the same day. You don't need a referral from an accountant, lawyer, or anybody like that. And the other uh, misconception is that it costs a lot of money to work with the trustee. Well, the first consultation is absolutely free, and everything you pay from there is set by government tariff. It's generally a whole lot less than what you pay to repay your debts. Uh, it's pretty remarkable that the type of impact we're able to have on people's lives. So I'll give you the website one more time at sands-trustee.com. Lots and lots of questions and answers on the website or give them a call. It's 1-800-661-3030 and get that free consultation. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. And Blair, I think this is going to be an excellent segment because when you're talking about debt, uh, I I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that credit card debt is probably the first thing or the biggest thing that the average person has to deal with or figure out how to deal with each time. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, Elaine. So, you know, every year we do a debt study. We release it pretty widely. And one of the questions we ask is, you know, what was the main type of debt? What really caused the problem? What caused you to seek our advice? And well over half of survey participants, you know, close to 60% of people said um, that it was because of their credit card debt. That's why they proceeded to file either a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. So credit cards become completely ubiquitous. You know, um, sometimes you need them if you're going to make any transactions at all, um, you know, to buy things online or on a flight. I guess we're not flying much these days, but, um, you know, there are certain things where we've been driven towards the idea of convenience with a credit card. Um, but it really can bring some challenges if you're not able to pay your balance off each month based on the interest charges. And yeah, and that's the key, right, is is that focusing on the interest charges, because regardless of what kind of situation we seem to be living through these days, nobody is decreasing the interest charges on credit cards. That's right. So, you know, you might have had some payment deferrals, you know, when COVID started. Those are generally over at this point. Um, but there hasn't been any widespread lowering of credit card interest rates, even though, you know, bank prime rates and mortgage rates are at all time lows. Um, you're still looking at pretty significant interest rates for different types of cards. And let's spend a minute just saying what that, what that actually translates into. Um, you know, a retail store credit card uh, with a $5,000 balance those are often at 29.9% interest rates. So other than payday loans, that's about as expensive as you can get for financing these days. Uh, Minimum payments to pay that off would be 50 years, not kidding, 50 years and four months to be debt-free. And what you would have paid in interest, in addition to the $5,000 principal paid back, you'd pay $23,262 in interest. So about four and a half times uh, what you originally owed, you'd pay back in interest plus 100% of what you originally borrowed. So if you're carrying any sort of a balance on a 29.9% card, um, you're really putting yourself in a tough spot. 
Um, you know, you might be saying, okay, well, I don't have the, the store branded credit card. I've got a standard credit card. It's at 18.9% interest rate. Okay, well, that that's better. Obviously, still not great. You wish you could earn 18.9% of the money you invest or you put into your savings account, but none of us do. Uh, but if you had a, the same $5,000 balance on your standard credit card, minimum payments would take you 19 years and nine months. So again, close on 20 years for a $5,000 balance. We're not talking about crazy, you know, extravagant balances that, that run up, but just 5,000 that could accumulate even slowly over time. And you would pay back more than double what you originally borrowed. Your interest charge would be about $5,300 in addition to your original $5,000. Yeah, huge. Yeah, but you know the last one to say here is a low-rate credit card. So um, you know a low-rate credit card might be something in the range of eleven point nine percent, maybe give or take a couple of percentages there. Same five thousand dollars, you're still going to be in debt with minimum payments for almost fifteen years, fourteen years and seven months, and you're going to pay back about twenty four hundred dollars, or you know close to half of what you owe there, um, in addition to the original balance on the card. So obviously it's dramatically different from card to card, but still, who wants to be stuck in a pay payment cycle for 15 years um, to clear an original $5,000 debt. So a lot of folks, they just find when they start to really look at their situation, look at what they're able to afford for minimum payments, um, they're not getting ahead once they've gotten, gotten themselves into debt with credit cards. And I know that you've that you've mentioned and that you've included in this in this discussion that even if your balance is pretty low and you've never missed any payments, uh, contacting your lender to ask them if they'll give you a better rate. And my question to you is, while that would be terrific, does that ever happen? Have you experienced that 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 happens for people? Yeah, I've, I've had clients tell me that, yeah, they, they phoned their bank or they went in, they had a chat with them and, you know, they had good credit history and they were actually able to get a low rate card. I've never seen it solicited to somebody, some the bank saying, hey, I want to save you some money. Let me lower your interest rate. Um, but in conversations with the bank, when you say, you know, my objective is to reduce the amount of interest um, that I'm paying, um, you know, they offer these products. They just tend not to advertise them very well. So, yeah, I've definitely seen if people do it, take a proactive role with their lender, they are able to reduce their interest charges. Okay. How else can you get your interest charges uh, decreased or, or are there other ways to do that? Well, what you want to do is you want to get to the point where hopefully you're not missing, or sorry, you're not carrying a balance on, on your credit card. So, you know, the, the, the key art to a credit card is to use it for convenience, but then to pay it off each month so that you're not incurring any additional charges. Um, so, you know, a couple of key things to do if, if you're not at that point where you can pay things off every month and just get your interest down to zero uh, is to really understand that your minimum payment is not a solution to, to getting you out of debt. So you've always got to pay more than the minimum payment required. And, you know, really look at your budget and see how much more can you pay that's possible, because sometimes it's as little as $10 of what you're paying. Maybe it's $200 minimum payment, $190 of that could be interest that's going to recur the next month. $10 might be what's actually reducing your principal. But, you know, if you increase that payment to say, you know, $250, well, the 190 might go to interest, but now $60 went to reduce your principal. And that's going to just help you get out of debt more quickly. So it's really important to pay more than the minimum payment whenever you're able to do so. Now, I know that you often talk about the rule of, uh, the rule of 60 math. Do you want to talk about that here? Yeah, so that's a quick kind of shorthand way for you to just see, okay, am I at the point where I'm having a problem with my debt? Maybe I need to get some advice. So what I suggest people do is to take the debt that you have and divide it by 60. So if it's, you know, $6,000, for example, divide it by 60, that's $100 in a month. Um, could you afford to pay that off 
would that be able to be integrated into your budget? If the answer is yes, okay, you're probably not in such a dire position that you need to reduce your debt. You just need to budget a little bit. Um, but if it's something, say, you know, $24,000 of debt, divide that by 60 months, that's $400 a month. You know, if you're taking home $2,000 in a month and your rent is $1,500, there's no money there uh, to make those $400 payments. So even if your minimum payment is nowhere near $400, what you'd actually have to pay to get out of debt in a reasonable amount of time is close closer to your debt being divided by 60 than whatever the banks might be saying, you know, here's a minimum, just make this for the next 20 or 30 years and pay us a bunch of interest. So before we talk about the next, which is a really good tip on credit cards, I just want to add that if if this is you, if you're hearing your situation uh, in what we're talking about and you want to take action, 1-800-661-3030. That's the number to get a hold of Sands & Associates to get that first appointment, sit-down appointment, virtual sit-down appointment, and see if you can get some help. Also, check out their website, sands-trustee.com. It's got some great questions and answers for you that that may even help you move forward on this. Uh, so what's the next best credit card tip that you want to share? Well, one key one is just to take a break, whether it's for a period of time or for a longer term, is just try using cash or using debit, just something that's not on your credit card. And, you know, sometimes we get kind of, um, you know, sucked into the idea of these rewards programs. You know, if I get the points on here, eventually I can travel, or, you know, buy things from their catalog. You know, at most, you're getting about 1% of your spend um, as a rewards fee uh, or as a, as a reward to you. And if you have to carry that balance for even a single month, you're paying more than 1% in interest on just about every card. So um, definitely don't be, um, you know, hoodwinked a little by these rewards values. They're just the idea of getting you to put everything on your credit card. And then when you can't pay it off at the end of the month, um, they, they make back more than what they've given in rewards just for that single month. Uh, you know, another thing to be very careful about is to avoid taking cash advances because it's a little bit different with a cash advance. Um, the interest charges start the moment you take the cash out. So on that day, there could be a special interest rate, which is not special in a good way for you. It's, it can be up to 10% <laughs> higher than your standard interest rate on the credit card. Um, and there might be a transaction fee. You know, sometimes it's up to 3% of the amount that you withdraw. So, um, you know, you'd have to be in pretty dire situation to say, I'm going to pay more interest. I'm going to pay it now. And a transaction fee for the cash advance to so just do whatever you can to avoid cash advances on your credit cards. Okay. And I guess the most important thing, and, and this is an opportunity for you just to repeat what we know so well, is where to get the best place to get uh, help for debt. Yeah, licensed insolvency trustees are the only individuals that are independent, um, unbiased, licensed and endorsed by the federal government to give you the plan that you need to get out of debt. Um, so you receive no funding from creditors. They're just here to explain to you your rights, your remedies, uh, and to help you not be stuck in a minimum payment cycle or not be stuck, you know, despondent, um, not being able to get out of debt for the foreseeable future. There's a solution to every debt problem. And when you sit down with someone at Sands and Associates, we'll take the time, explain everything, and work out that solution together. You learn more about options to deal with credit card debt and other consumer debts. Contact the uh, Sands and Associates, sands-trustee.com, or give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So one of the things that we talk about as part of the process when you sign up uh, to deal with your debt, 
or at least take first steps with Sands and Associates is that sit-down consultation. And of course, we're not actually sitting down these days, but certainly there's a one-on-one, -on -one, and it's a a pretty big component of it. So this segment's all about uh, what to prepare for, what to expect, uh, the things that you need to get ready before you uh, open your laptop or your iPad or your computer and uh, sit down with you, Blair. Mm -hmm. that, that's right, Elaine. And as you've alluded to here, yeah, we're, we're helping people in multiple different formats these days. It often starts with a phone call, then we you know, transition to Zoom, and we're signing everything electronically as well. So we haven't slowed down at all. The government's deemed us as an essential service, which makes a whole lot of sense because, you know, other than obviously protecting your health, uh, protecting your finances can have a huge impact on your mental health, you know, even your, your spirit and your drive to get through a very tough time. So, um, yeah, we're doing a lot of consultations these days and happy to do so. And I know you talk to a lot of people from all different um, sort of backgrounds and situations. Uh, let's talk about who you typically connect with on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis. Yeah, it really is all walks of life, you know, all income levels, you know, everybody from, um, you know, a senior who might be on a fixed income or, or someone, um, you know, on, on, say, a disability benefit where they're really struggling to make the most of, of a low income uh, to some people that are earning, you know, multiple thousands of dollars, sometimes $10,000 a month who just managed to get overextended. And again, often it's just due to circumstances out of somebody's control. So there's really not a, a typical person, you know, every day is different, which is what's so interesting to be a licensed insolvency trust. But in terms of the needs that we, we typically satisfy, you know, it's we give people advice on how to deal with their debts. Um, you know, if someone feels like they're facing a major financial crisis, however it arose, uh, we help them work out a plan to get to the other side of that. And even if someone doesn't feel that deep in a crisis, but they just come to the realization that, you know, all they're doing is treading water. Um, you know, we sometimes call it the minimum payment hamster wheel, where it just goes around and around and all your money is gone each month, but you're not making any progress on actually paying down your debts. Um, you know, it's not the case that everybody that comes to see us has really bad credit. They've been delinquent for quite some time. A lot of people actually haven't missed a single payment. They're not getting a ton of collection calls. They've got an ideal credit rating, um, but they just need a plan to move forward because they're not making progress doing what they're doing. And I know that you guys work so hard to be so aware of the emotional um feelings that people have when they're sitting down with you and and it's got to be a pretty anxious time uh any time but especially now i would think people are very concerned about what's going on and how that impacts them personally when it comes to their finances yeah absolutely elaine you know that the biggest um, challenge is generally the unknown and the assumptions that can fill the gap when someone doesn't have knowledge so you know being in a tough situation is one thing but not knowing what's going to happen to you you know that can be just quite debilitating. So a lot of the time we sit down with people and we explain to them, you know, what are your legal rights when it comes to your debts and your assets? Uh, what are your creditors entitled to or not entitled to do? Um, and your creditors aren't going to tell you that, you know, for them to take legal action, it's going to take months. They're going to tell you, well, tomorrow I'm going to be at the door carting away your assets and we're going to be able to give you the facts that, you know, that just can't happen. And we're able to clarify for people that, you know, having bad credit is not a barrier to you getting help and it's not a sentence that you'll never have good credit again. Um, there's the ability to turn everything around. You know, finances are, are, are something that really you can transform in a very short amount of time if you get the right help from the right professional at the right time. 
I want to put a plug in for license insolvency trustees, Blair, because we get inundated with so much information these days. But a license insolvency trustee are the only ones that can uh, help you through a bankruptcy, a consumer proposal, legally, lawfully. You are it in Canada. That's well said, Elaine. We're the only professionals licensed and endorsed by the government to help you get out of debt. And again, it costs nothing to sit down with a trustee to figure out whether their options are going to work for you. Okay, great. So let's talk about the specifics, uh, in particular documents. So I'm going to sit down with you. What do I need uh, to have with me and to have completed to have that first debt consultation with you? Yeah, there's some really key questions that we're going to ask. And, you know, like many things, the better information you're able to give, the better advice you'll be able to receive. But there's nothing here that I think is kind of what you wouldn't anticipate. So when you sit down with us, we'll start asking you, well, who do you owe money to and approximately how much? So if you just come in with a, you know, a brief listing of, you know, here's the cards that I have, here's the balances, that's enough for a first meeting. Um, you know, eventually we'll ask you for the most recent statements so we get the balances up to date. Um, and then sometimes if we're, you know, looking at the overall budget to see what you're paying, but just starting off with just who you owe money to and how much a simple list does just fine. Um, the other side of the coin of your debts is what are your assets? Um, so do you have any RRSPs? Do you have some life insurance? Uh, do you own a vehicle? Do you own any property? So if you just come in prepared to say, yeah, here are the assets that I have. Here's what I think the approximate values are. You know, we can do a black book search on a vehicle very quickly. You know, obviously you can access BC assessment quite easily for real estate. So we just need to get a sense um, of, you know, are you able to deal with the debts? You know, maybe if you refinance the house and got some money out, you could pay off the debts. Or if you don't have any assets, um, you know, what would you potentially be able to keep if you went through a bankruptcy and for most people they keep all of their assets as they go through a bankruptcy so you know rrsp funds in particular uh, you don't have to surrender any of those um, unless you've been making a lot of contributions in the last year which most people haven't if they're paying debts anything that's been in an rrsp more than 12 months is completely exempt so the worst thing you could do would be to pull that out to pay some debts then you don't have the money later um, and you have an income tax hit uh, we're going to ask you about your budget. So we're going to figure out, okay, well, what are you earning? Are you paid every two weeks, semi-monthly, weekly? You know, how does that work? And then what are the major obligations that you've got to honor each month? Um, you know, are there child support, um, spousal support, medical condition expenses, things like that? So we talked about your debts, talked about your assets, your budget, and then just some other general questions. You know, when did you last file your taxes? And if it's been a few years, that's okay. The trustee can help you get caught up or we can give a referral to an accountant or sometimes we can help prepare the returns ourselves. Whether you've done a bankruptcy or a proposal before and if you have some student loans, you know, what did you study and how long ago did you study? If you just graduated last year, the student loans have a bit of a different status in a bankruptcy or a proposal. But if it's been more than seven years since you were last a student, a student loan is the same as any other debt and it can be discharged through either a bankruptcy or a proposal. Now, I think the most important thing about a consultation is not to be too worried about the documents that you're going to bring. It's just to show up. It's just to actually take that first step to be prepared to have a conversation. Again, what, what we're proud of at Sands and Associates is we treat everybody as if they were a close family member with dignity, empathy, and respect. Uh, we know it's more circumstances than bad judgment in many cases that brings people into a debt problem. and They just need some help to get out. 
So before we want, we continue, Blair, I just want to mention that if any of this information is resonating with you and you want to take action, here's the phone number to give Sands and Associates a call. It's 1-800-661-3030. Or if you'd like to go to their website, it's a terrific one, sands-trustee.com. So can you walk us through some of the considerations, Blair, for folks to keep in mind as they assess the different debt management options available to them and what are their specific pros and cons? Yeah, when you're starting to work out a plan to deal with your debt, you want to consider for each strategy, you know, is this going to solve all of my problems? Is it going to deal with all of my debts? Are there going to be some debts that are just going to have to be outside of that program and paid separately? You know, government debts, for example, there's only a small number of solutions that would deal with them, essentially a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. You need to understand, well, what are the monthly payments going to be for the chosen solution? What support are they going to give you? Is there going to be some counseling, some budgetary help, things to get you on a good track? Are there going to be any extra costs, maybe that, you know, haven't been fully disclosed, but, you know, over time they're going to add up? And how long is it going to take you to get to that magical day of being debt-free? So any solution you're considering, you want to ask those questions. I think we'll evaluate just a couple of them uh, on today's segment as well, a couple of the really common ones that people think about first. Okay, what, uh, what's the number one that people sort of uh, uh, feel attracted to and want to want to really explore? Yeah, I think consolidation loans are huge. That's usually everyone's first option is to say, well, you know, I've got multiple debts here, multiple high interest rates. If I could just combine them into one payment, I'd have one payment at a lower interest rate and I'd save some money each month. So that's the pros. Now, the downside is you've got to be able to pay the debts off in full plus still interest. You know, you might go from 19% to 12%, which is good, but it's still 12% interest and the full principal. Um, consolidation loans are often difficult to qualify for. Sometimes they require you to get a co-signer or to pledge some assets, both of which are really risky things to do. Um, and sometimes they can take a very long time. Some consolidations are seven, eight years. Uh, that's a long time for you to be paying back some debts. Got it. What about credit counseling services that we hear so much about these days? Yeah, so credit counseling can be a good option if you don't have any government debt and you just need a break on the interest. So even a consolidation amount of interest is too expensive, but you can afford to pay everything back um, over a five-year term if you just got a break on the interest. So, you know, the pros are it's pretty easy to qualify for. You don't need a co-signer or any assets, um, but you do need to be able to pay everything off in full. Uh, you do need to know that government debts are never going to be able to be included uh, in that in that program. You're going to be paying some fees on top of it because, you know, essentially no, no one's able to work for free. So you're paying the debts back 100 percent, but there will be some fees on top of it, whether it's a for profit or even a not for profit agency. Uh, and the last point is one that I think is really important is you need to understand that credit counseling agencies are heavily bank funded. So sometimes upwards of 90% of what they receive is actually uh, commissions from the bank on the debt they're able to help collect. So to me, that's an inherent conflict of interest. And you really want to keep that in mind. If they're advising you to do a to do a credit counseling plan rather than a consumer proposal, it might be because there's, you know, basically a horse in the race, which is them wanting to collect more fees. Got it. And you mentioned consumer proposal. I would think that that is one of the best options for folks. For anyone that can, yeah, for someone that can afford to make some payments on their debts but not able to pay the full amount, consumer proposal can be an outstanding alternative to a bankruptcy. The maximum term of a proposal is going to be five years, and much of them are shorter, and you're able to pay them off as quick as you're able to. And it's going to deal with all of your debts, including your government debts. 
And not everybody has to agree to it. If you owe five people money and, you know, say 20% of your debt says no way will we accept the settlement, you know, as long as we have more than 50% of your debt that says they want the settlement, it's legally binding on everybody. So it gets you the relief. It gets you a payment you can afford because you're paying off just the portion you can afford. Um, and you get, you know, full supervised um, and some support from the trustee to help you get back on track. Got it. And uh, and in closing out this segment, I just want to remind folks uh, that if you want more information about all the services that Sands & Associates offers, go to their website. It's terrific. It's sands-trustee.com, or you can give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, this is a great segment. It's it's the personal debt checkup. What to look for if you're going to do that work. And I like this part, Blair, what to ignore, because, again, that speaks to all the information that people get these days. Some of it's true. Some of it's not so true. So ready for that financial check-in. What are the, some of the key factors um, to help people figure out where they stand when it comes to personal debt and, and maybe some stuff that they can ignore? Can you, can you start talking mm-hmm. from the beginning of that piece, Blair? I know it's sort of convoluted. Oh, no, no, of course. So I think it's just just a matter of, Elena, you know, just like you wouldn't want to go too long without checking in with your dentist, with your doctor, uh, without maintaining your car, for example. You know, it's the old saying, if you don't have a plan, anyway is going to get you there. So the idea of looking at your finances with, you know, a bit of a defined eye to where do you want to go? uh, What are your financial goals? And if debt is holding you back, how do you deal with that debt so that you can move forward? Because the easiest thing is just going to keep doing what you're doing, keep making minimum payments if you can afford them and paying a ton of interest at the end of the day. So doing a financial checkup, you know, it's the best practice. It's something we recommend, you know, at least annually and, you know, maybe even more often than that, especially if things are changing. And there's a few components components to it. So, um, you know, the first thing that we recommend, and this is, I think, critical to do, is to check your credit history. Um, So we recommend, you know, about once a year, but quite often people will go years on end without checking their credit history because they think, you know, it's a bit of a chore or it costs money uh, or it's just a hassle. Uh, But this is so important because you need to make sure um, that your credit history is actually accurate, that it reflects your accounts, uh, that someone else's information hasn't been, um, you know, mixed in there. Uh, There's not something delinquent that's going on that you're not aware of, that when you actually need to have good credit, maybe it's for a mortgage or a car loan, you know, cleaning up your credit at that point is going to be much much more difficult to do. And it's usually something that you can't do on a dime. It takes a while for them to investigate, see what went on, and then get your credit history, um, you know, cleaned up back to where it should be. So the way that you do that is there's two main credit bureaus in Canada. They're called Equifax and TransUnion. Uh, you might recognize Equifax from the massive data breach of, you know, about a year ago or so. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's a bit of a testament to just how much information these bureaus do have on you. So everything from, you know, past employers, past addresses. And then for every account that you have, there's going to be a report that's going to say, what's your history? So how often are you late on payments the last 30, 60, 90 days? Have there been collection actions taken against you? Has the account been sold off to a collection agency or things like that? So it's really important to go through that. It can be you know, a little convoluted to read, but they give you a bit of a legend at the top saying, here's what all the codes mean. Uh, and then it's something you can also phone a trustee um, to say, okay, I've got my credit report. Can you spend a few minutes just helping me understand it? It's something we would do at no charge. Uh, but you definitely want to do that. Now, 
in terms of getting your credit report, there's a few ways you can do it. So prior to the pandemic, if you wanted to get your credit report online, you had to pay a fee. Sometimes it was between 15 to $30 or so. You'd get it instantly. Uh, and no, not too much hassle, but you paid some money. You were always able to send away for a free copy of your credit report uh, at least once a year. And we've got a copy of the document you can send away on our website at sans-trustee.com. Uh, but what's also happened during the pandemic is both Equifax and TransUnion have started to give some little bit limited, but usually enough for you to go on, uh, access to your credit reports for free online. So if you go to their website, uh, TransUnion calls it a consumer disclosure, and it's going to have, you know, a list of your accounts, the history. So, you know, that's a really good quick checkup to do is just to log into one of the credit bureau um, sites and access your credit report online just to make sure that it is accurate. And I recommend people keep hard copies of these, keep them filed, track them over time, um, again, just to make sure it's accurate and that you're trending in a good direction, not delinquent on your account. Because sometimes they're not accurate. Is that right? Oh, that's right. Almost every time uh, when I pull my credit report, I do find there's some inaccuracies on there. And, you know, I don't think I have the most common name in the world, but uh, you can imagine someone like a John Smith, for example. Uh, there's so many millions of people with, you know, similar names, similar uh, transactions that it's just not uncommon that people uh, could have bad information put in just inadvertently. Okay. Well, that's the credit. Your credit history is important to check. What about your credit score? How does that fit in? Yeah, so of all the things you can ignore, this is top of the list. So, um, you know, this is something you generally won't be able to get for free. They're going to charge you a fee to get your credit score, but it's actually pretty meaningless for the most part um, because the method that the credit bureaus use to calculate your credit score, it's just their best guess of what they think a lender is going to use. Each lender has their own method of calculating a credit score. So if you're sitting down at bank A versus bank B, your score might be dramatically different based on the exact same inputs, just based on how the banks choose to calculate a credit score. So, you know, if you want bragging rights, okay, you could say, well, you know, mine's seven or 800 and that's great, or yours five or 600, that's not great. But at the end of the day, it's really not something that you can rely on and you couldn't take it to the bank and say, well, you know, your acceptance requires this and I've got it, therefore you must approve me. They're going to calculate their own credit score um, and, you know, essentially uh, they're going to base their decision on that. But what's also important is you need to understand that a credit score can be completely divorced from your overall financial health. So for someone who's got a great credit score, they make all of their minimum monthly payments, they keep their accounts in good standing, but they could never afford to pay off all of their debts, they still might have a great credit score. Uh, you know, somebody who's just fought, finished a bankruptcy, they might have a pretty poor credit score, but they've actually got no debt. So they're not having any obligations on their monthly expenses each month. Um, and then they're going to be able to rebuild to save money. They might be in actually a better position. And where it's really stark is if you think of somebody who just has no need for credit, they've got a bunch of money, they're independently wealthy, something like that. They might have a terrible credit score because they're just not borrowing from the banks each month. So the banks, therefore, don't know what to feed into the algorithm to actually get them to calculate a credit score. So it ends up to be very low. So you need yeah. to realize it's not a barometer of your overall financial health. Sometimes it can be completely opposite to the people with the highest credit scores might actually be in some of the worst financial shape overall. Got it. Okay. I guess if you looked at your um, sort of your debt to income compared those, that ratio that exists that uh, I have, I have to be honest, I've never really spent a lot of time doing, but I know it's, I know it's important or it can be really good for you to figure things out as well. 
Yeah, exactly. So you do want to take a look at yourself, you know, as if you were looking at, at a business, for example, you know, of all the money that comes in each month, you know, how much is left at the end of the month, you know, to meet all the obligations. So for your personal debt to income ratio, you know, a little bit straightforward, I think, is take your gross before tax monthly income, um, add up all of your debt payments plus your rent mortgage payment or child support, things like that, your main debt obligations, and then divide the amounts by your gross income and multiply by 100. So what that's going to show you is if your rent is, you know, 60% of your gross income, and then you've got some credit card payments and student loans and car payments on top of that, you're in a pretty precarious financial situation. Uh, A best practice is that your gross debt score uh, so your debt to income ratio should be in the range of 35 to 40 percent of your gross monthly income. Um, so if you do the math and that's what it works out to be, OK, you're generally that's a good indicator of financial health. You know, there may be other factors, but that's pretty good. But it's when you start to see um, debt to income ratios that are you know, 80, 90 percent or even over 100 percent. What that shows is the only way that you're sustaining yourself is by going further and further into debt each month. And that's just not sustainable. Eventually, you're going to run out of room on the credit cards. You're going to be in incredibly stressed out and the interest is going to take on a life of its own. So it's a good calculation to do. Take your gross income and then figure out what proportion of that is going to your debt uh, plus your, your rent each month. Got it. I would think that during this time that we're all living through, that uh, that debt to income ratio could really be fluctuating badly for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if your income's just been reduced for a few months, you know it's coming back. Okay, it's indicative for a few months. You want to, you know, tighten things down, but you know it's going to be better. Um, you know, if your income has been down permanently and now your debt to income ratio is way out of whack, that's just a big indication you should get some help. Yeah, and we've only got about oh, about forty, forty-five seconds left, Blair. What else do you want mm-hmm. to throw in for people to think about? I think, you know, one thing to, to keep in mind is to really to not get in the habit of robbing Peter to pay Paul. So I've had some clients, you know, call it financial Tetris. They take money from one card, pay off a minimum on another. That keeps it going for another month. Um, it's just not going to solve anything in the long term. So if you're using credit to pay credit, a huge warning sign, pay attention to uh, and get some help to move forward. And the best place to get help, uh, obviously, Sands & Associates, because Sands & Associates has been helping folks in British Columbia get a financial fresh start for over 30 years. So it's a great place to start, and it's very easy to do. Check the website, sands-trustee.com, or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. Book your free confidential debt consultation with someone who's incredibly knowledgeable about debt and get you onto that path to becoming debt-free. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.